We're one week closer to the NFL Draft, and the smoke around the Seahawks continues to build. With a quiver full of early picks, Seattle looks to be one of the most influential teams in the league over the next two weeks. Joining us to discuss their options is Derek Klassen, who covers the draft for Bleacher Report. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my cantankerous producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Doing well, Jackson. Uh, Getting closer and closer to the draft. Uh, One of the biggest inflection points in recent Seahawks history. Uh, Feeling the nerves and the excitement building, but uh, it's all positive. How are you, my friend? I'm ready, man. I am ready. I can't believe we still have two weeks of buildup to this thing. Like you said, this draft season definitely feels longer than any I can remember, but I think that's because the Seahawks have never had this much leverage in the draft before. And when you combine that with the talent already on the roster, it's like, damn, let's get to it already. We've compared last season so many different times to 2011, and it really felt like 2011, except they actually made the playoffs. They won the last <laughs> right. game or two and made it in uh, to the dance and then were quickly dispatched. But you kind of are looking at this draft with all this ammunition as, okay, this is the foundation, right? You already laid the stepping stones in April last year. And, you know, just like 2012, maybe they'll uh, be able to pair their existing roster with an exciting young rookie signal caller who knows who can really say yeah we'll see Uh, you know the good news on that is we get to share this anticipation with one of my favorite people covering the draft process he handles the draft for bleacher report he's also the creator of the brilliant quantifying quarterbacks doc he is Derek Klassen and he is back on the show Derek how are you great to be back um feeling a little exhausted with uh with the draft season i'm i'm itching for it to be over in the next couple weeks but uh excited to be here and wind it down yeah it'll be nice to actually have some actionable content for you to sink your teeth in because i know that for draft guys like yourself the calendar is probably very similar to an accountant's and that all year you're monitoring and keeping an eye on things and then when march and april hit you're probably fighting for air and a deluge of information trying to get it all straight with a hard deadline But when you look at the 2023 draft from 20,000 feet in the air, considering the different players, team needs, et cetera, what would you say stands out about this year? Um, It's not good. (laughs) I I think it's just not generally a very good draft. Um, And I think we kind of see that at the top. Like, even if you remove quarterbacks from the equation, how many truly elite prospects are there? There's like Will Anderson. There was Jalen Carter before all the off-field stuff came out. And then you've got like Bijan, but he's a running back. So he's not going to go in the typical range that like an elite player would or should at a, you know, at almost any other position. So um, and then I think the talent drop off from there, there's like pretty clear talent drop offs like in the tiers from there. So I think it's just kind of a funky class. Um, there's obviously going to be good players. There's always good players in the draft. But I think relatively to the last two, three, four years of classes, it's a little bit disappointing and that's almost why I think we're seeing a lot of the quarterbacks um, jump up the board and a lot of teams willing to move up to get quarterbacks is because there's just not a lot of other elite talent at the top of the board that teams are, are willing to take over a quarterback. So they're like, well, screw it. We might as well reset our franchise a little bit. It also feels like there's a lot more teams 
in need of a quarterback or at least in want of a quarterback than we've had in the past. I, I think the idea of having a good quarterback on a rookie contract has really settled kind of into the NFL zeitgeist and, and is something that a lot of teams are starting to prioritize. 100%. I think it's that. And also it's just like how many vets were really out there for, for teams to go get. Like Carr got traded. Rodgers is going to get traded. That's really about it unless your option is like Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think at this point, if like if you're in on Jimmy Garoppolo, you're not very serious about whatever current year you're in. You're kind of trying to bridge to whatever the next thing is. So um, I think I think it's both. I think it's it's a good quarterback class. I think people have realized the value of hitting on a good rookie for that three, four year window. Um, and then just there aren't that many veteran options um, for guys to go get. And really, none of them were free agents, like all the guys other than Jimmy that you were going to get. That was a veteran kind of had to trade a lot for. Um, and I think that's at a certain point, if teams are going to trade for a veteran a lot of them, especially in this class, were probably like, well, rather just trying to try to take the swing on on a rookie. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, leading up to the 2022 draft, there was a lot of similar talk like this is not a great draft class. There's not a lot of A-listers in it, but wait till 2023. And then 2023 gets here and it's like, eh, the petals have fallen off uh, the rose for a lot of these guys. Uh, is that something that you feel is just like a natural thing that happens every year? Or did this class just disappoint overall in how they played uh, collegiate football last year? I would say there's a little bit of both because I think, I mean, I think one, everyone is almost, almost every time people are going to think that the next class is better. And it's just because you haven't seen enough of the next guys to really pick them apart. Like um, a, a good example, I think actually is like Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, mm -hmm. who I think is a good player, but people last year were like, oh, he's even better than Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And it's like, I don't really think that that was true. I think that we're just not watching this guy specifically and we're not thinking about him specifically. So we see him look good when we're watching these other plays and we're like, oh my God, he's, he's so much better. But then you kind of hone in on exactly what he is compared to what Wilson and Olave offer. And it's like, he's good, but these guys can play more outside. They're a lot more explosive. They can threaten down the field. Like it, they were, to me, a different tier of player. We just got so excited that, you know, this guy was that this guy was going to be really good. And so I think part of it is that is just people always over put too much expectations on a lot of players. But then you had a couple of guys like um, Keishon Butte, I think, is a good example of we thought going right. into the year he was going to be a top 15 pick, maybe the best receiver in this class, like can play inside, outside, big, tough. Uh, really explosive. Well, he was the, the top receiver coming out of high school his yeah. graduating year, right? Yeah, like super recruit. Everyone thought he was really good last year. He had was an awesome first season. Year. Yes, like he he, it, he looked like he was going to be the dude and then just didn't play very, very well to open the season. They moved him more to the slot instead of outside, which was like really weird to me. And then he had some of the off-field stuff. Like it just players like that i think kind of fell down the board a little bit so um i think it was a mix of both of like people just always think the next class is better and don't know how to gauge their expectations but then a couple of the big guys that were supposed to be good just didn't end up quite being i think what people wanted them to be well don't sure. worry guys because marvin harrison jr is better than all of them so yeah that one he is actually true. he actually might <laughs> that be. was actually <laughs> true okay <laughs> i just he might be jamar chase that, but that guy <laughs> uh, that guy is, is that good <laughs> Yeah, totally. And and to your point earlier, I mean, there are good players in this draft, but when you look at the positions kind of as a whole, which ones do you feel are the strongest in this draft and, and which ones does this class light on? I think um, the two best to me are pretty clearly, well, there's like a third that might be in there too. 
But cornerback, I think, is a big one. I mean, there's probably like four or five first-round talent corners, um, and a lot of them are big-bodied guys. I think that's the important part to me is that it's not a lot of these guys who are like, ah, they're really talented, but maybe they're small. Like, there's one, there's Clark Phillips, who is like a top 50 guy who is pretty small. But other than that, all the top corners are like 6'1", 6'2", long arms, big dudes who can run. Like, to me, that's a very legitimate corner class and i think a handful of them are going to be very good and then tight end i think is is fantastic like i think michael mayer is is an incredible prospect i can't believe people are overthinking him as much as they are but even past him you have uh darnell washington who is like a super freak monster athlete at six foot eight um you have like tucker craft who is another good athlete luke musgrave who is good dalton kincaid is like an unbelievable receiver um like, I feel and like you I'm got guys like someone. Sam Laporta, Laporta and Zach Coons, like breaking, they're breaking yes. the combine. We had like six of the most athletic tests from tight ends yes. ever this class. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's the thing, like the top end is really good, but you even move in t- into like the third, fourth, fifth round of tight ends. And it's like, I can see these guys working out like with, with, with some love and care, like a little bit of, uh, you know, some scheme changes and stuff like that. Like these guys could be really good so i think it's like a good and deep uh tight end class and then the other one that i would kind of put into that tier is is tackle i think the tackle class is actually really good i don't know if there's like a bona fide like penne sewell this is an absolute lock to be a star but they feel like there are like four or five guys that you would take in the top 50 pretty comfortably um that all kind of have some different flavors to their skill sets that should be able to turn into like pretty good um maybe pro bowl like level starters so i think those are like the three positions where it looks really good right now which positions, if it was a glaring team need, are you like, man, I wish it was any other year? <laughs> um, I think the easy one is wide receiver. Um, like there are some decent receivers in this class because I think just the way that the sport is moving, there's always going to be decent receivers to a degree. But I think if you compare it, especially to the last three years, it's not close. Like there isn't a Jamar Chase, um, Jalen Waddle. Like I don't even know if any of these guys are as good as Jamison Williams. And Jamison Williams was like the third receiver off the board in his class or something. Um, so I think there are like good guys, but guys that would typically go in the back end of the first round that might get pushed up a little bit in this class just because there's nothing else. And then the other problem I have with the receiver class is all a lot of the good guys are small men. Like Jordan They're Addison. They're tiny. Jordan Addison is small. Josh Downs is small. Zay Flowers is small. Even Jalen Hyatt is like pretty skinny for how he's built. Like a lot of these dudes are just not big bodied receivers, um, at least like in the in the top range. Uh, and, and then even really a lot of the mid round guys are pretty small, like Tank Dell and stuff. So that's kind of my issue with the receiver class. The other one, I think the safety class is not very good. Like I think we even before the combine, we went in thinking like, you know, maybe Branch is good. Maybe the Georgia guy is kind of good, but there's just not that many guys who are top level talents, like bona fide first round picks. And then almost all of them tested horrifically at the combine. And it was like, right. okay, if you need back end help, this is probably not, this would have been the year to sign a free agent if you, if you could have. You know, uh, this has been obviously a very special draft season for Seahawks fans. Not only because Seattle is their highest pick in two decades, but because they have two selections in the first 20 picks, five in the top 83. You marry that with arguably the best draft class in the league last year, a stunning Geno Smith resurgence, an exciting young roster that made the playoffs, like Mike said. All of a sudden, the SSC Hawk is ready to make some waves. So when you look at this team and how their draft capital lines up with the talent available, how would you prioritize things for them when the draft begins? And let's start with positions, and then we can zoom in on specific players. I think front four is where they have to really figure things out. I think especially on the edge, like if they could add 
like Tyree Wilson, if he's going to be there, if Will Anderson is going to be there, I think they need help. Carter would have been the choice if, if he didn't have some of the off-field stuff. Um, but I think front four specifically. And then for me, the other one really is I really think they need like a big body slot receiver um, because my biggest issue with the offense was they couldn't really get into like tighter formations the way they wanted to. So anytime they went into 11, it was like full spread and all you had was Marquise Goodwin being fast down the slot. Didn't like it. I really would like if they had a bigger body, like a Josh Palmer or something. That's just an example. But somebody who could be big, block, get things a little bit tighter, and I think it would give them some more variety. Okay. So given that context, and let's assume for the sake of the discussion that Seattle is picking from their native spots at number five and number 20, give me a few players that you think would realistically be there that would earn an A-plus grade from you if Seattle took them? I think Anderson, for sure, if he's there. I think Richardson, Anthony Richardson, if he is there at five, I would I would take him and that would be an A-plus. The other one, I think Tyree Wilson, I don't know about A-plus, but I would feel pretty comfortable with it and I would like it. So I think those are the ones at five. Not Jalen Carter. A couple months ago, Jalen Carter. But now it's a little, it's a little yep. dicey. Um, at 20, I think it gets tougher. I think probably a corner, if they could take one, would probably be my bet. Like if one of these super athletic guys fell, that would probably be where I would go. I, I love the idea of corner at 20. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, you know, there's, there's quarterbacks that if one of them were to slip, you're like, man, I don't know if Seattle's ever going to have a shot at, at a top quarterback with a native pick again. Maybe you take that shot. But I'm with you. I, I would love to prioritize the defensive line. But I love the idea of getting a corner to pair with Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant. Um, you've obviously got, for sure, two good safeties and maybe three, depending on how Jamal Adams comes back. And one of the most underrated aspects of creating pressure on quarterbacks is the ability to cover well and make the quarterback hang on to the ball for an extra quarter second, extra half second. And that is often the difference between a pressure and a sack. I really like Joey Porter Jr. there if uh, if he's there at 20. And and I think he very well could be. Um, I'm assuming Gonzalez and Witherspoon are the first two corners off the board uh, before we get to 20. But I like that. You mentioned the need for a bigger body uh, slot receiver. I wouldn't call Jackson Smith and Jigba a huge guy, but is he someone that could fit that bill? In what what makes him weird is like my big thing with why I want a bigger bodied slot receiver is I want someone who can block. Like I, I, if they're going to have Shane Walder and do all this stuff that is supposed to be pseudo Ramsey, like I would really like for them to have a bigger bodied guy. And and I think Jackson Smith and Jigbo, if you look at him, he hits the threshold, right? He's like six one or something. He's like 200 pounds. Like he has the physical skill set. He has the physical presence to do it. They just didn't really ask him to block at Ohio State. So it's to me, it's just like, I don't know if he can do it. Maybe he can, maybe he can. He has the body type and he's a very tough player. Like when you look at him, uh, like how he plays over the middle, he's very comfortable with contact. He's not scared of taking hits. So that one's just one where you like kind of have to project like, well, he's tough and he has the body type to do it. We hope he can block. And if he can, I think he would be a perfect fit. But even then, even if he can't, I think he still offers them um, such a good and like stable presence over the middle, which I think for Geno specifically is really important because that's that's where he makes his money is over the middle of the field. So um, I would really, really I, I think I would still like that pick. That would be like an A minus pick as he is. And if he can become the blocker that he's supposed to be, it's like an A or A plus. So that one's just it's a little weird. It would still be good. And if you get that little cherry on top with him blocking. You, you feel fantastic, I think. Yeah, you know, we, we've talked about JSN a little bit on this show. And obviously, the talent, the top end range of his outcomes is mouthwatering, right? I mean, he has the potential to be an excellent receiver at the NFL level. 
Um, the other thing is, you know, yeah, it's great to have that third receiver, but you also need a contingency plan for Tyler Lockett because he is getting old. He, I, I still think he's probably a top 15 receiver in the NFL, but he's, he's no longer fighting for extra yards. Um, he has dealt with some injuries and we saw this offense crater when Lockett was out last year, because there's no reason not to just put the clamps on DK and, you know, Marquise Goodwin is good at what he's good at, but he's not the kind of guy with the route tree that's going to beat focused coverage on the other side. So I, I like the idea of JSN and really he's the only receiver. I think I would consider, uh, at 20, if he, if he happens to be there wild to think of no receivers in the modern NFL going in the top 20. But, uh, if he is there, it would be pretty hard to turn that down. There's a couple other players that I think might be interesting too. Uh, Seattle has a need on the interior of their offensive line. They obviously nailed their tackle picks with Charles Cross, Abe Lucas last year. That was a godsend for this team. Plug and play, lock them in. But they got their asses kicked up the middle last year, especially middle part of last season, right after their four-game win streak. All of a sudden, they couldn't run the ball. Gino was having to throw it a lot quicker, um, and and things really deteriorated there. Uh, how do you feel about a guy like Osiris Torrance if he's there at 20? Yeah, I think um, Osiris Torrance is, at least for Bleach Report, he's our top guard on the board, so I kind of like him. I've seen a good bit of him from charting Anthony Richardson. Uh, obviously, he was the right guard there, so... I think he's if they want to lean into kind of being a little bit more of like a power run, we're going to beat the hell out of people team. I think he's absolutely the pick. Um, I think if they want to attack the interior in a different way and go for maybe a center, guys like John Michael Schmitz and Joe Tipman are like very good athletes um, who might be a little bit lighter, but um, they're incredible athletes. And like, you're going to be able to have a little bit more flexibility along the middle. And like, um, I think always stabilizing the center position is always really good if you can. So I think they actually have a couple of options if they really want to shore up the interior where they can go for a guard like Osiris Torrance. He's probably the only one you're taking in the first round. I guess Skaronsky is technically maybe a guard, but like, he's probably not going to be there at their pick. So that doesn't really matter. Um, So I think it's probably Torrance or either of the centers is is like a pretty reasonably good pick for them, especially if they're really hell bent on like, we're going to make Gino as comfortable as possible, Um, which I think is probably good because I think Gino actually did a really good job last year of playing from the pocket and like having good pocket presence and pocket movement. But even for the guys who are really good at it, getting them help is good. I mean, we saw it with Trevor Lawrence, like his rookie year, um, like Trevor Lawrence, I think his his probably his best trait is that he's really good at managing the pocket and really good at understanding where pressure is coming from. But even guys like that, we saw his rookie year when the offensive line, especially the interior was bad. It looked not good. And then it got a little bit better in 2022 and he looked a lot better. Um, Obviously a bunch of other stuff helped him out, but I just think having that is always going to help a guy. So if that's the direction they want to go and they want to forego receiver a little bit and push it back to like the middle rounds where I think there actually are some good picks for them to have. I think that that's a pretty fair, fair way to go for them. How would you feel, let's say Seattle does go with Will Anderson or Tyree Wilson or maybe even Jalen Carter with their first pick. How would you feel about them doubling down with another edge rusher like Lucas Van Ness if he slips or Nolan Smith out of Georgia? I mean, I don't hate it. Like, they need it so badly that, like, who, like, I don't really think it's a problem. Uh, I think especially, too, it would be really nice if they could grab, like, I think the perfect example would be taking, like, Tyree, assuming that Will Anderson is not there. And then getting Nolan Smith because, or you could do it the other way around where you get Will Anderson and go Lucas Van Ness, just because those two pairings are such different body types that it's very clear that you can play one 
towards the strength of the formation, one towards the weak side of the formation. Um, and they can give you some different things. Like if you take Tyree first, he's obviously big. He's very long-armed. He's going to be able to set the edge. He's going to be able to be a pocket pusher. Like he's going to be able to play better from the strong side. Nolan Smith is a little bit smaller. He's almost like kind of what they had in Bruce Irvin years ago, where like he's kind of a pass rusher, kind of a speed guy. But you could pretty reasonably drop him into coverage, and he's a very smart and athletic player, and he can like carry a wheel out of the backfield if you really need him to, like all that sort of stuff. So I think if they really want to double down and fix the defense and just say, you know what, the offense looked good enough last year, we can just add some minor pieces and it'll still be a top 10-ish unit, um, and then really double down on getting the defense back to also being a top 10 unit, I think that's a pretty reasonable way to go. I think it would actually be like, if the right players are there, I think it would be a pretty sick way to go because I think we've seen like in in the Seahawks era when they really have the front seven going when the pass rush is really going it's just a completely different team it feels like not even just defense like it just feels like the the ethos of the team is completely different so I would love to see it yeah there hasn't been any juice no not in a while in like five years you know yeah. I, pretty much ever since uh Bennett and Averill left it's it's just been kind of trying to slot some guys in a Frank Clark here, uh, uh, you know, Uchenna and Wosu was obviously a, a huge surprise last year. Um, but we had Greg Bell who covers the Seahawks on a couple weeks ago. And he was saying, you know, a lot of that was, they just told him freelance, you know, and, and it's like Daryl Taylor has some moments. They whiff on LJ Collier. It's just like, it hasn't been there. And the idea of just hammering the front of the defensive line in the first round, when you have, this much draft capital um, is awesome. But, you know, one thing that's coming out of this conversation, and and I say this at the risk of holding John Schneider's beer, uh, it feels like they can't mess this up <laughs> at 5 and 20. Like, there's going to be so much talent available at those spots, at positions that they need them. Yeah, I think that's that's the critical factor, is that it's like it's kind of a wonky draft class overall. But I think at the positions that the the Seahawks need and where players should fall, they should be good. At five, I think it should almost be impossible to mess up because, I, like, there's no scenario where Anderson, Wilson, and um, Richardson are off the board. Like, they're getting one of those guys. They're either getting defensive help or they're able to take a swing on their quarterback. They really cannot mess that up unless they do something really, really weird. Um, at 20, it obviously gets a little bit more dicey because you don't know how the board's going to fall, but, like, there should be a shot that like JSN could fall. Um, if they really actually want to shore up like tight end, even I think that wouldn't be a bad idea. If like Mayor, if they really feel comfortable with him, um, like we talked about the interior guys, like they should have a guy there. If somebody like Nolan Smith or Van Ness or somebody falls, like they're pretty much going to have options at all of their positions of need. Even corner, like I said, like it's the best cornerback class. Like corner is probably the strongest position. There's a very strong chance that either. Um, you know, Porter is there. Maybe they feel really good about Ringo, who I actually would really, really like in their system. I feel like in a lot of ways, he kind of is like Mike Jackson, but just like an athletic good version of that, if that makes sense. Like mm -hmm. he, it would be like mm -hmm. a very easy plug and play in terms of like play style and body style. Um, so I kind of like it. Um, so I, I think they're in a really good position and it, it should be a pretty, you know, like you said, you don't want to make this a hold my beer situation and, and see if he can mess it up, but it should be pretty hard for them to mess this up with, with the way the board should shake out. Okay. All right. So we're feeling good about them on day one. I want to ask the same question for their three picks on day two, which I believe are number 37, number 52 and number 83 based on what you said. I mean, and we start to get into the weeds at this point, there's a lot of different permutations after the first round in terms of who's going to be available, et cetera. But, Assuming the draft falls roughly the way that you anticipate, 
who are some names that we can kind of bookmark that uh, you could see at the beginning of round two, middle of round two, and then their pick in round three? Yeah, so I think if they want to fix the interior defensive line, I think a guy like uh, Siaka Aika is a pretty good option to like replace Al Woods. Um, I know he slipped down boards a little bit, but I think if you really just need a guy who you plop dead in the middle and is not going to move, I think that's probably their best option in this class. Um, so I think that would be a pretty good one. If they want to target receiver, um, they have a couple of options. I think I'll go back to what you said about like potentially replacing Lockett. If they want a guy who, in my opinion, is kind of like almost a one-to-one in terms of skill set, obviously we don't know if he'll end up being that good. But I think um, Tyler Scott, uh, the Cincinnati receiver, is like they have almost him and Lockett have almost the same skill set. Super fast, way tougher about catching the ball you know, in in traffic than they look. Like, they're obviously not bigger guys, but they're very comfortable catching in traffic, catching with bodies around. Um, Not necessarily the most creative yak guys, but they have enough athletic ability to, like, do it and give you something there. So um, I think Tyler Scott would be, like, a really good contingency plan if they want to do that. And he could play right away out of the slot if they need him to. Another guy is shooting up draft boards, from what I can tell. Yes. Yeah, like, he was one of those guys where it seemed like um, after the season, when people actually went and watched, like, the non-elite programs, he was the guy who people realized, like, oh, he should probably be a top 75 pick, if not even higher. Like, their pick at 52, I think, is probably, like, a really good spot to take him if he's there. Um, Another receiver I kind of like for them, who, with the way things are shaking out, is probably their pick in the third round with with where he's probably going to end up going is uh Rasheed Rice out of uh, yeah. out of SMU. He's he can play inside and outside, but I think for them he would be really good out of the slot because he's kind of a he's a really thick receiver. Um and he's very strong. He, he's like really good catching over the middle. He's not scared of any of that stuff and he's a really good blocker. So he would kind of unlock all of that offensive stuff that I kind of talked about earlier. Um so I think he would be a really good option for them and he gives them a lot of uh yeah, which I think the, the Seahawks are a little bit struggling with right now. You mentioned Lockett is not really opting into doing very much of it at this stage in his career. And then even DK Metcalf, like for as athletic as he is, he's so straight line that Yak is honestly kind of hard for him in some ways because he's just mm-hmm. not that fluid of an athlete. Whereas Rice, I think, is just like this big, explosive bully ball guy who like if you get him, he's just going to get right up the field for 10 yards and he's going to plow through somebody if he has to. So I think he would be a really cool fit. He's he's super interesting because, you know, you, you talk about the importance in Shane Waldron's scheme of the slot receiver being able to block, and Rice can certainly do that. It's also, when you got a big guy in there, you can't put big guys on him. Certainly not big guys who are, are as fast as him, right? You're, you're going to get a lot of nickel corners who aren't going to be big enough. You might get some linebackers or safety coverage who probably aren't going to be fast enough. And when you watch Rasheed Rice, you really feel like you're watching like a power five recruit a power mm-hmm. five athlete playing at a group of five school you know like it it's just one of those guys where it's like to use the cliche man amongst boys type of, of player I, I that's so critical for especially for like fcs players but even for these group of five players where it's like when i watch you you should feel very clearly like you are the best player on the field and it's not close when i watch rice it feels like he's the best player on the field and it's not close like mm-hmm. he has some issues with like drops and he's not the snappiest route runner but just like as a physical uh specimen as like and as like an athlete and the way he carries the ball he just feels like he's playing a different game than everybody around him um and so i really appreciate that that part about his game he's also really good contested catch guy like he has some weird like 
he'll drop a random slant because he's not paying attention or something. But like on those where he's got to like body somebody up on the sideline or over the middle, he is coming down with that ball. He, he will mm-hmm. find a way to bring that ball in. So I really appreciate about that about his game. And I think really it pairs incredibly well with, with Geno Smith. Yeah. You know, uh, one area of need that's kind of flown under the radar, I think probably people who aren't as close to this team, they look at Seattle, um, might not identify this, but those of us who are watching every play, every game uh, in the moment, off-ball linebacker was a real struggle for Seattle last year. And then they lost Cody Barton uh, in free agency. Jordan Brooks, who has had some amazing flashes and definitely looks like, hey, this guy was worth the first round pick. And then other times, not so much. He blew out his knee late in the season. They have no idea when he's going to be back and ready to go. They did bring in Devin Bush from Pittsburgh, but that's a little bit of a lottery ticket play. Uh, Kind of banking on him getting back to something close to his pre-injury status. Bobby Wagner, of course, is going to be a solidifying um, presence in that position group, but he's not the athlete that he used to be. Is there somebody in the second or third round that you think, not an edge rushing type of linebacker, but someone that can kind of understand the defense, get where he needs to be, uh, and and make some plays at the second level. Is there somebody that stands out to you? I think potentially in the second round, if they're if they're really willing to take a swing on it, um, somebody like Drew Sanders at pick 37 or whatever that you mentioned, I think that's if they really, really want a guy who who has like Pro Bowl type potential, that's their probably best play. Cause this linebacker class kind of sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite frankly, it's not very good. There's like no bonafide first round guys. And even a lot of the mid round guys are kind of weird. Um, but Drew Sanders, at least to me is like, he's actually a converted edge rusher. He played edge at Alabama and then transferred to Arkansas and played uh, off the ball. So you can tell he's a little bit raw, but he's very willing to play against contact. Um, and, and you can tell the way that he sheds blocks. You can tell that he played on the edge and you, you know what I mean? Like he's just very comfortable. Like, locking his arms shagging a guy out and like getting into the free gap so i think um i think he'll be able to play like it'll probably take him a year to like adjust to the speed of the game and playing off the ball and stuff but i think he's a guy who could do it other than that you're looking at a lot of guys who are just like super incomplete in a lot of ways like owen papo from from auburn he's really big he's really physical he's pretty fast but like he just has these moments where it's just like bro (laughs) where are you going (laughs) what are you doing and he's not really all that good in coverage so um that's kind of the issue with him. And then you have like um, Henley, the guy out of Washington State, who is kind of the opposite where he like he's a little bit smaller. He's a little bit more athletic. He's a little bit better in space. But you're kind of worried about what he might give you between the tackles at his size. So I think it's honestly just not a very good linebacker class, which is actually why I think they took the swings on Devin Bush and even bringing Bobby back is because just like they probably realize this is not the class to try to get a starter um, at, at the linebacker position. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Everyone listening to this show can tell that you provide excellent coverage of the draft and the league as a whole, but where you really shine is in your quarterback analysis. You came on the show before last season and gave us a rundown of Drew Locke versus Geno Smith back when that was still up in the air. And when you did that, you accurately predicted Geno to be the better fit. Now, none of us saw this coming from Geno, but I wanted to give you your flowers for that call. Yeah, that one was just... (laughs) I don't even know how many flowers I should get because that to me was not even being like, I'm a Gino guy. That was like, this Drew Lock thing is not serious. <laughs> like, this is not happening. Like, I know Pete better than this, and I know that he's not serious about this. And we saw enough of flashes of Gino Smith from uh, both New York stops where I was like, surely he must be better than what we've seen from Drew Lock in Denver. But, um, you know, at least we got it. Uh, you know, I probably thought Gino was going to be like quarterback 22 or something, but he was 
a lot better than that. So yeah, so so remove the rookies from the equation. Just looking at the quarterbacks from last year and the way that you rank them, analyze them, grade them. Where does Geno slot in? Is he a top six guy, top eight guy, top 12 guy? So he, to me, I kind of like went onto that tier maker site and like kind of tried to like loosely do this before the show. He, to me, kind of ends up in that like nine to 12 range, kind of Mm -hmm. like where um, honestly, where I think like Matt Ryan was for a lot of his career, where he was kind of in that nine to 12, like very clearly an above average good starter. And you get these moments where he it looks like he's a top five quarterback. And I think that's kind of what Gino was last year, where he, like, he was like generally a fringe borderline top 10 quarterback. And then you had these games where it was like, oh, shit, he looks like he is prime Andrew Luck or something like where he is just ripping every single tight window on perfect timing, like hard drop back concepts. So um, I think Gino Smith is actually really good. And I think what's really frustrated me actually about the conversation around him is that I think people saw what he did last year. And just because of the circumstances beforehand where he's like this guy who was a journeyman for eight years, um, never really looked like a bonafide starter beforehand, uh, comes in and plays and and produces super well. I think people saw that and were like, oh, this is kind of like when Ryan Fitzpatrick did that and Josh McCown did that and like Case Mm -hmm. Keenum. And it's like, nah, man, like this is different. Like with all those cases, it was very clearly to me a case of like. They had really good defenses um, alongside them. And then in most of those other cases, they had really good receivers that they could kind of just chuck it up to. Like Keenum had um, prime Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Like, yeah, man, just throw them the ball. Like, they'll figure it out. And like Josh Fitzpatrick had Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker at at the peak of their abilities. I remember Blake Blake Bortles had a season, right, where he had Allen Robinson. And then he also had Leonard Fournette out of the backfield. And then, like, that defense was awesome. And that defense was, like, top three in the league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, all those guys had, like, these great circumstances. And, like, Seattle's offense wasn't horrible. Obviously, like, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are a really good duo. um, And the rookie tackle duo was, like, pretty good. Um, But the defense was obviously not really helping them out that much. The run game really, I think, slowed down towards the back half of the season. And then the offensive line, even for as promising, I think, as it is in certain spots, you know, specifically at tackles, it's not like it was a great offensive line. They were like, okay. Um, and like we've talked about, they really need help at that third receiver spot. And even to me, I think tight end, they could probably use another tight end. So like, to me, the way Gino played was just, you watched him and it didn't feel like this gimmicky, lucky thing where he was just throwing a lot of these jump balls or like doing weird stuff outside the pocket and getting lucky. Like it very much felt like if you wrote like a textbook on how to play quarterback, he was playing it at like a B plus A minus level like really really consistently even when some of the production dropped towards the back half of the year that to me was like not really on him that was a lot of other circumstantial stuff so i think what gino did on film was incredibly repeatable and 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 i think he can do it again and i think like i said unless you know they suffer a bunch of injuries or something or or tyler lockett completely loses his legs or whatever i think gino again should be able to produce like a top 12 quarterback you know one of the things that uh, I think it's kind of a hallmark of the average quarterback discussion is this idea that it's elite or nothing in terms of value. When you say a top nine to top 12 quarterback, that is an extraordinarily valuable asset to have on your team. Like that means there are a dozen or fewer guys as good as this dude on the planet at the most important position in American sports. Like it, I, I don't want to belabor the point but if Geno Smith really is that and can move forward as a top 12 quarterback, 
it does so much for this team. Yeah, it's people that's I, I'm 100% with you on this conversation. Like, yes, having the Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, whatever, it, it makes a lot of things easier. You have so much more room for error, but like, it's not the only way to, to skin the cat. Like, there are ways where you can be a very good, very competitive football team um, over a, a long period of time with a quarterback who is in that 8 to 12 range. Like, you know, obviously the Falcons did it for a really long time with Matt Ryan. Um, he probably had some stretches where he was a little bit better than that. Um, no. But I think Gino has had stretches, you know, at least last season where he was better than that. Um, so I think that's kind of the general range that they're looking at. And, like, the, the thing is that when people do this, you know, you can only have the elite or nothing. Like, the reality is that how many, how many of those guys are there? five like at most like maybe like there's maybe four or five of those guys um and like the reality is like the other 27 teams you got to feel the quarterback man and you got to feel the best one that is going to give you a chance to win um and i think guys like geno smith um or matt stafford with the rams like guys in that tier they give you a lot like you can still it obviously takes a little bit more than than having Patrick Mahomes. You have to really hit on a lot of right stuff in the right window. Um, but I think, you know, the Rams are that perfect example where, like, if you have all that stuff, where your defense is clicking, where you have all the right pieces on offense, when your offensive line is still okay, a guy who is in that top eight-ish range can give you Super Bowl winning winning play. And I think, like, Geno Smith, like, are they going to get there? I don't know. Like, they, they still have to fix a lot of stuff on defense and a couple of things on offense. But, like, I think he is playing at the level where you can reasonably be like an NFC championship team pretty consistently um, with, with the way he's playing. Obviously, again, it takes you kind of have to have the 49ers level of consistent team building to get there with a with a quarterback at or below that that range. But I think it's absolutely possible. And I think like for the most part, I trust Pete in, in, in a lot of ways. So like I think if they can get the roster a little bit better on both sides of the ball, like Geno Smith is absolutely good enough to, to do everything they need him to do. Geno Smith or Kirk Cousins? Gino. Gino Smith or Russell Wilson? Gino. Not close. <laughs> Gino Smith or Dak Prescott? Uh, Dak. I, I, like, uh, Gino's great, but Dak to me is like, I, I just love him, man. I, I think they're I actually kind of, they're <laughs> kind of similar too. in a lot of ways where they're like sometimes aggressive to a fault, <laughs> um, really willing to throw into tight windows, really comfortable inside the pocket. Um, there's just this air about Dak before the snap that I think is so, I mean, outside of Brady, man, he, he might be the most like cerebral pre-snap guy in the league. And I think wow. that's why he's had so much, um, that's why he's had so much consistent success. It's like, he's just so unbelievably good at getting guys into the right position, understanding where defenses are supposed to move, all that stuff. Um, like I said, he can get a little bit outside of himself post-snap sometimes. He can be a little goofy. Um, <laughs> but I think for the most part, he's an incredible quarterback. So I think he, he just edges him out. I would probably put them on like about the same tier though. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think that is probably the aspect of playing quarterback that gets lost in the discussion. The most is the pre-snap stuff. And, and a lot of it is because what do we really know? Well, you, <laughs> you know, I mean, but even me, most, like you're still kind of guessing sometimes. You're, you're like, still kind of guessing. Checking out of, you know what I mean? That's like, right. <laughs> that's right. And and there's no stats for it, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can't we can't quantify it. But um, I think that's a, a really important observation to make. And and to bring it back to Russell Wilson, that was one thing that you just never really saw in his time in Seattle were pre snap adjustments. It was laid out of the huddle, see what the defense is doing, and then run the play that was called. And and we saw so much more. From Geno Smith last year in terms of getting the line early, moving guys around, checking out of plays, identifying pressure, all that kind of stuff. That is why 
Russ, I think, is so convinced that he needs to be like a shotgun hurry up passer because it's it's just simpler. Like you just don't have to do as much checking all this other stuff. Whereas like I just said, Dak was better at it. But like you know, I think did a good job of handling that stuff. You know, better than Russell Wilson did, and I think that helped the offense be a little bit more flexible. It helped it be a little bit more balanced. Whereas like Russ was just. He didn't want to do that stuff, man. Like, if they were getting under center, like, they were calling the play that was played, you know, they were either running the ball or they were running whatever play action shot they had. There wasn't a lot of flexibility. And when they were getting into the gun, that's why I think he really liked to be no huddle, where it was just, boom, give me the play, boom, we're going to go. I'm going to play. If, if my first three is not there, I can make a play outside the pocket. And that's even why he started to trail off at the end is because it was harder for him to do that physically. You know, when he was at the peak of his game, he could get away with shit like that because he was just so much better and you know he had a stronger arm he was more athletic than everybody so it didn't matter but when that started to fall it it started to become a pretty fragile play style and i think that is kind of why geno smith has been i think a little bit better for them recently is that he just gives them so much more flexibility and i think in general that's a thing that we kind of underrate about really football players in general um <clears throat> and especially quarterbacks is like just the flexibility that they give you like that's why um a lot of the best court like i mean that's what i value about dak prescott like we just talked about like there's not a concept or a formation or anything under the sun that you cannot run with dak prescott whereas like you get guys like kyler murray and it's like he's really great at a lot of stuff but you're just limited in what you can do because of the way he's built and the stuff that he's comfortable um playing and i think that you know they they the seahawks kind of got to that point at a, at a certain point with russell wilson yeah yeah i agree with all of that now, when you were on the show last year, we also discussed the quarterbacks that were going to be in this class, and you accurately picked Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis as being among the top picks in 2023. Then I asked you about Anthony Richardson. Mike, you got that audio? Of course I do. Oh, shit. <laughs> if the Seahawks do win like six or seven games, am I crazy for thinking that like Anthony Richardson is a great Pete Carroll quarterback? Listen, I am I am a reformed Gators fan who thinks that only bad things can come from Gainesville at this point. So until Anthony Richardson even halfway looks like a quarterback, I'm not going to do this dance. He's thrown like 50 passes. I know. <laughs> I know, but he's like Cam Newton, man. Well, I hope. <laughs> all right. All right. Now, to your point, we were dealing with an extreme small sample size when I threw that out there. Has Richardson shown you enough in the last calendar year to increase your confidence in him? Very much. I said I said he needed to look like a quarterback and throw more than 50 passes, and then yeah, he threw you, about you, 300. You hedged. You hedged, yeah, and, hedged. and you hedged correctly. <laughs> I made sure to give myself a little bit of room there. Um, <laughs> but he threw more than 50 passes, and he looked pretty good to me doing it. Like, um, I think what, what's so frustrating about him is I think he's a really misunderstood prospect. I think people just see big, super athlete has a couple of problems and they're like, oh, he's raw. He's like Josh Allen. This is going to take forever to turn around. And it's it's a really like risky bet. And it's like there are some risky aspects to his game. I think the accuracy is like a fair concern. Um, I think he has like three or four balls a game where he just it's like, bro, where are you throwing to? Especially seam balls. I've noticed like he will overthrow a seam ball once or twice a game. It's really bad. But I don't think the accuracy is actually as bad as people say that it is. Like, I think a lot of people just look at completion percentage um, and even on target percentage and are just like, oh, my God, like this is not an NFL quarterback, blah, blah, blah. But you look at the way that Florida's offense was structured, where everything is like after 12 yards. Like, yeah, he's not going to throw as many accurate passes. One, because it's one. Those are just harder throws, obviously. 
Um, I mean, they're further from the quarterback. That just makes it harder. But then two, you're holding the ball for a lot longer and you're like having to process things for longer. And that just kind of makes it harder to be more accurate because a lot of accuracy is about timing and like being in the yes. right place on, at the right time. And that's really why that's part of why Gino is so accurate is he's constantly on time. He's always where he needs to be with Richardson. I think he's actually a good processor in terms of like getting his eyes to where they need to be checking stuff off the list being like, Nope, can't throw here. Can't throw here. Um, or, Oh, this is open. I just think sometimes it takes him a beat too long to like get to the next thing and then fully pull the trigger. But that to me is not like, oh, this guy doesn't know how to play the position. That's, oh, this guy is 20 years old and a one-year starter. He just needs a little bit of time. He needs some care. He needs some receivers who can actually play the ball because I swear to God, Florida's probably, Florida's wide receivers might have the worst ball skills in in the power (laughs) five. They can kind of get open, but Jesus Christ, they cannot play the ball. And I think that probably hurt him a lot. Um, So he's just, to me, a prospect where it's like, He's a one-of-one athlete at the position. I think his processing is better than people think. I think his accuracy is not as bad as people think. And I think really, what actually really sold me on him was, so all that stuff, I I can kind of be like, okay, this is a prospect worth working with. To me, I look at his pocket management and go, oh shit, this is a guy who gets it. Like He's just so, so good at being calm in the pocket, understanding where little crevices of space are, where he can slide up into and still make a throw, keep his eyes downfield, like... He just has all of it inside the pocket, man. Like it looks, it looks almost like Justin Herbert to me. Like he's, yeah. I, it's not quite that refined yet, um, because Herbert is, you know, obviously he might be like the second or third best quarterback in the league, but he has a lot of that pocket presence style to him, and that to me was like, it might be a little rough around the edges in other areas right now, but that to me speaks to like he's going to be able to figure this out because he's just very comfortable playing the position in some of the hardest aspects. You know who he reminds me of? And and I say this not, I mean, yes, in play style, for sure. I think there's a lot of comparison to the guy I'm about to say. But I'm speaking specifically about his pre-draft process, the way people talked about him at the Combine with his interviews. I'm getting a lot of Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of see it. Like, Jalen Hurts kind of had a lot of the stuff coming out about, like, oh, is he going to be accurate enough? Like, is he a good enough processor? Um, And I actually think in a lot of ways they are kind of similar processors. I think Hurts had more issues throwing over the middle. um, And that's kind of been his issue for even now when he's playing at a high level. That's still not what he does best. Um, But even Hurts, like, you could watch him and it was like, man, he gets where the ball needs to go. It's just like this is taking a half beat too long. The difference to me was, like, Hertz had played for four years, so I was a little bit more iffy on, like, can he figure this out? He obviously has because he's an incredible worker and he somehow gets better every single season. Um, But with Richardson, I'm even more willing to be like, yeah, he can probably figure this out because he's a one-year starter who's 20 years old. He's he's, he's not even 21 yet, I don't think, or he, like, just turned 21. Like, he's a very, very fresh player who has already showed he kind of has the baseline you just need to get a little bit more reps, a little bit more refinement. So um, I actually think that's a pretty good, pretty good comparison. The, the actually the other difference to me is what's really funny about Richardson is you look at the way he produced at the combine, you look at his rushing numbers, and you're like, oh my god, this is like he's gonna walk into the league and be a, a super designed running threat. But like he's really not as a designed runner. It's really weird. Like he kind of runs like he's a little bit blind and hesitant between the tackles. It's really really odd. I think he's pretty good on the perimeter because he's just so fast. Um, but between the tackles, he just it, it just seems unnatural to him, whereas he's really more of like a um, 
I don't even know a comparison for it, but like he, he just to me is a really good like scrambler and on the perimeter guy. Whereas like between the tackles, he's just like a very awkward runner. Uh, whereas like Hertz is like a legitimate. You could put him in the backfield as a running back, and it would look just as natural. Like he's right, that right. He's that. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you there. You know, one one thing that um, you know I'll I'll say about uh, Richardson, kind of in terms of his on field play, is he. I think one of the more underrated aspects of quarterback prospects when they come out is do they get sacked and Richardson doesn't get sacked. And and part of that is the Cam Newton, Ben Roethlisberger. He's just so big that he's tough to square up. And even if you wrap him up, he's tough to take down. There's, there's that, but he's also willing to throw the ball away even on like third downs, right? Where the temptation is to try and force a throw uh, just to keep the chains moving. He's he's willing to get rid of it. Uh, he avoids hits when he can. He obviously has the ability to square up a linebacker, but that's not something that you necessarily want. And and he doesn't seek that out. And, and to me, that combination of the physical gifts with the sort of not only self-preservation, but kind of team preservation that he plays with, uh, to me, is really impressive. I think you nailed it. And that's another thing where it's like, because he has that, I'm a little bit willing to be like, he kind of gets it. He just needs some help in, in terms of overall processing. But I'm 100% with you. Like his, like you said, obviously he has the body type, the athleticism to just simply run away from people if he needs to. But it's like you mentioned, like I think he actually does a pretty good job of realizing when the situation is hot he's just going to either check the ball down or like you mentioned, throw it away. He's really, really, really good about just getting the ball out of his hands. And actually, this is something I really appreciated about Lamar Jackson's game coming out of Louisville is he he was also really good about not necessarily, like he could scramble when he needed to, but he was pretty good about realizing like sometimes the best play here is to just check down, throw the ball away, move on to the next one. Richardson is, I think in this class, pretty handily the best at that. It's probably like him and then, stroud in terms of like that understanding of just how to not get sacked and how to get to the next play and give themselves a chance um, whereas i think some of the other guys in this class it's a little bit more of like a you're playing the roller coaster you know what i mean I, and russ was that way and you can be a great quarterback playing the roller coaster russ was that way deshaun watson was that way um cam newton was kind of that way where you, you kind of had to play the, the highs and the lows Whereas a guy like richardson i think what you see especially from a lot of the best quarterbacks is these guys who can get the ball out on time. They can check it down. They can throw the ball away. Um, I mean, we've even seen, I think, a good example of even developing that and it changing their game is Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow mm-hmm. got so much better this year about just getting the ball out of his hands and not having to be hero, not putting himself in these holes. Because that dude took some sacks. He took some sacks, bro. Like, constantly. He, was, he, he just thought he had to be Superman every second and long and third down. And it was like... Sometimes you can just turn second and long into second and six or to turn into third and six. And that's okay. And like a guy like Richardson is really, really good about that. And that again, speaks to like, man, he gets how to play the position. It's just, you need to like, you just need to sand, you just need to what you just need to sand him out a little bit and like get him to refine some of these things a little bit. And, and that makes Seattle seem like such a natural fit because he doesn't have to step in and be the guy it can be one or even two years uh Mm -hmm. seattle is set up so well with geno's contract that if they had anthony richardson and they were pleased with the progress that they have a pretty natural passing of the baton between those two and and geno's young enough and has low enough mileage that he could 
you know, parlay his success here into a starting job elsewhere for sure. And another, another nice contract. The last thing I want to say on Richardson uh, before we move on. And, and I think the reason that I want to spend so much time on him versus the other ones is I think of, of the top three uh, quarterbacks, you know, I'm, I'm putting Richardson in that with uh, young and Stroud. He's the one most likely to be there for Seattle. But the main reason I wanted to comp him to Jalen hurts is from that leadership aspect. The talk about, you know, the overcoming the adversity uh, that he had growing up, the ability to lead in the locker room and in the boardroom and in the weight room type of guy. You know, like there's your franchise quarterback has to be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and they have to be able to do that in their early to mid 20s. And it's so easy to overlook how massive a part of being an NFL quarterback that executive level function is and that's all anyone was talking about out of the quarterback interviews at the combine was holy shit richardson is that dude that's why i think he's i mean obviously he tested incredibly well at the combine but that's really why i think he's risen and stayed into the top five on on a lot of mocks is because I think when you have a guy who does have some of the, you know, he's rough around the edges like Richardson, where it's like, ah, we need the processing to be a little bit quicker. Ah, we need the accuracy to be a little bit better. When you get him in the room and you get him on the whiteboard and you talk to him, that's where you get comfortable with those types of guys. I mean, Justin Herbert, I think, had a lot of that coming out of Oregon, where he was like a guy where I thought I was like, man, he gets it as a processor, but he's just a little bit late. I don't know if that's him. I don't know if that's the system is bad. I don't know if the receivers are messing up. Um, it was like kind of hard to fully project it. And then Herbert also kind of had some accuracy issues where like he would spray a couple like like Richardson where it was like, dude, where are you throwing this ball? Like you threw that in the stands like you can't do that. Um, right. And so I think he was a guy where very clearly they got him into the room and on the whiteboard and we're like, oh, we'll make this work. This will be good. And I think, you yeah. know, like you said, the stuff about Richardson coming out of the combine, it seems like he's um, kind of in that category to a degree. So that also made me feel really comfortable about him. The other thing too is like there were a handful of Gators games this year because they were not a great team where they just got kind of down in the hole and he just had to keep battling. Like the Georgia game specifically, like by the end of the third quarter, they really were kind of out of that game. But he kept battling, man, and he kept making some really tough and impressive plays. And that to me speaks to a guy who is like, he's not down until he's out. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's going to keep going. He's going to keep fighting. Whereas like there have been other prospects I've had worries about that with like um, Jared Goff was, was, was kind of a good example to me where like Jared Goff has obviously been successful to, to a degree, but when he was coming out, he felt to me like a guy when mistakes were happening and he got behind the eight ball, it was like, ah, this is not going to really get better. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I think we've kind of seen that play out during his career. Like he's been Absolutely. really good um, even or ahead. Like he, he's been really good with certain, parameters functioning with the within the offense but when he gets behind the eight ball and he has to make some tough plays and he's you know down on the scoreboard just doesn't look like the same quarterback whereas like with Richardson I just didn't feel like that was a problem it just felt like he was steady as ever and he kept doing what he was doing and that, that's that's important to me okay I want to ask you if you were the general manager of a team in need of a quarterback but fuck it let's say you're the general manager of the Carolina Panthers you got the number one overall pick this is you making the call. How do you rank the quarterbacks in this class? It's so tough. Uh, I to me, so to me, I think Stroud and Richardson are a tier, um, and I think it's really just a matter of like, do you want the guy who feels a little bit safer? 
in Stroud because I think the accuracy is some of the best I've ever seen coming out of college. His arm is incredible. I think he got better at handling the pocket and playing outside the pocket um, from when he st first started two years ago to now. Um, I think he's generally a pretty good decision maker. Like he just feels like a guy it's hard to poke holes in. Richardson, I think is like you said, a little bit rough around the edges, but has some of the traits where it's like, I'm willing to bet that this will work out. And then he obviously has the one of one um, type of potential. So <sighs> I think it's hard. I, I think honestly, if I were in Carolina's uh, position specifically, where I think they're actually a team that can kind of compete right away with a rookie quarterback, I probably would just take Stroud because I really feel like he can walk in and kind of be a top-ish half of the league quarterback, and that is probably enough to push the Panthers into playoff contention. Um, Certainly in that division. Yeah, especially in that division where, like, who, who the hell else are they really fighting against? <laughs> um, so I think I would probably lean Stroud because he just feels a little bit safer. It feels like a better bet on getting one of those top 12 quarterbacks, whereas Richardson is a little bit more dicey. But if a team... You know, even if the even if the Panthers specifically took Richardson, I'd be all about it, man. Like I totally get taking the home run swing, but if my job were on the line, um, I would probably have to take Stroud. Even though mm -hmm. I, I really love both of them and I love the idea of Richardson, I would, I would probably play it a little safer and lean Stroud. Got it. Yeah, I think that's probably the direction I go if I'm the Panthers, also because you can't miss on it, and it's really hard to imagine C.J. Stroud being a miss where he is not a viable starter in the NFL in five years. And that is absolutely within Anthony Richardson's range of outcomes. Uh, it's just it's just the ceilings are different. Anthony Richardson's elevator goes to a higher floor. And, and to me, I think when you're trading up, it really is like a we need this guy to be good now because it yeah. kind of speaks to like the position the Panthers are in where like they really think they can be good right now. Whereas like if you naturally have the first pick, you kind of have a little bit more flexibility, in my opinion, to take a guy like Richardson, who was a little bit more raw, who is a little bit more of a long play because you're going to win four games the next year anyway. So what does it matter if this guy is not immediately a top half of the league quarterback? You kind of have the freedom to be like, we can let this guy take his lumps his first year and it's it's totally fine. Yeah. yeah. So circling back to what we think will probably happen with Seattle going in other directions early in the draft. And this will be the last thing before we get out of here. And whether that's because either the QBs have been taken or they like another player better, are there any mid to late round quarterbacks you could see them taking a shot at that you like in this class? Uh, I mean, it kind of depends on like what style of guy they really want to go for. I think if they're looking to get the closest thing to what Geno offers in terms of dropback passing, being able to throw tough middle of the field stuff, like being able to rip play action shots. To me, Tanner McKee, I think, is actually probably the best bet. Um, he's a bigger guy. He's like 6'6". Six, six. Um, pretty good arm. Not elite, but like I think he has a pretty reasonably good NFL arm. He has a really good... What, what it's kind of sold him uh, to me is like he has a really, really great understanding of knowing how to throw a receiver open. So whether that's, you know, a safety's nailing down, so he throws it low so his receiver can kind of guard the ball. Um, you know, back shoulders he's really good at. Um, seam balls where he needs to put the ball like on the back shoulder to keep it away from the linebacker running with a guy. He's really good at that. Just really understands how to put the ball in a spot where only his guy can get it. And that to me is, is another one of those like this guy gets how to play the position type of traits. Um, so I'm kind of willing to bet on him. He's kind of a statue and like, he's not going to give you anything in terms of creation. Like I, I kind of com compared him to like Jacoby Brissett where like, he's kind of just this guy who can be an above average within the pocket guy 
on in like certain ways but he just doesn't have that much creation to really push him into the next level um but i think if they're looking for a guy to to maybe develop as like a really good backup that's probably the option if they want to go a little bit of a different route and get a guy who is maybe more loose you know a little bit more creative i think maybe like clayton tune is pretty good mm-hmm. like um I think he's actually really opposite of Geno Smith in the sense that like he just won't throw contested stuff over the middle. He doesn't like throwing against man coverage, but against zone coverage, he's he's a pretty good processor. He's incredibly accurate to all three levels, um, and he's actually a really really good scrambler. Um, almost like he's it feels like a lame comparison because they're both from Houston, but he kind of feels Case Keenum ish um, in that way. So I think if they wanted to roll that way, he would give them pretty good QB two play um, if they needed it. So those are probably the options I would be looking at. Um, don't really like a whole lot of the other guys so i kind of like dorian thompson robinson at a UCLA. actually yeah he he's not bad either i think he he's a pretty good um i don't know what the upside is because i think um you know it i think usually upside with guys who've played for like an eternity it's like they're probably <laughs> maxed out but his maxed out to me is still like kind of what tyler huntley is now he can maybe be a little bit better than that which is like a really good court that's a good quarterback too to have a guy who can create a little bit he can run he's mostly accurate um He'll probably turn the ball over a little bit, but like he's, he's a quarterback too. Of course he is. You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would like that as, a, as an option for them too. All right, man. Listen, this has been so much fun. Thank you for coming back into the lounge with us. Anytime, man. It's always a blast. Yeah, it, it truly is. And before we get out of here, where can the folks listening find more of you? Yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter at QB Class, Q-B-K-L-A-S-S. And then you can find all my draft stuff over at um, Bleacher Report. I'm handling all the skill players, um, but we have a group of guys that are handling other stuff like cornerbacks, you know, um, defensive line, all that other jazz. And uh, they're doing a great job over there, too. So go check check me out. Check us out. Um, that's where you can find me. All right, friends. That does it for today. Make sure that you're following Derek. Add him to your follows just to keep getting this kind of insight from him. And you guys, this show has some really exciting developments coming your way in the next few weeks. So stay tuned for that as we get closer to the draft. As for us, you can find Mike and I on social media as well. I am on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is on Twitter at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fuelgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating, leave us a quick review. Thank you to all of y'all listening for continued support of this show. We know you've only got so much time for podcasts in your life. It is an honor to be a part of that. Please know that by sharing the show on social media and with your friends, you give us the juice to keep making this happen. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. My friends.